This is Africa Digest. South Sudan's Vice President, General Tabandengai replaces Riek Machar, who has disappeared mysteriously from Juba following a one-week battle that erupted there between President Salva Kiir's troops and forces loyal to Riek Machar. Before confirming Tabandengai's appointment as the country's Vice President, President Kiir had officially fired Machar for being absent at his place of work without leave. South Africa's acting police commissioner, Humuzo Patlane, has praised police who have arrested three alleged human traffickers in Rustenburg in northwest province. The three Malawians appeared briefly in the Rustenburg Magistrates Court today. Police earlier stopped a truck with 57 Malawian children on board. Patlane says police deserve a pat on the back for work well done. You should be excited that uh, we were able to save uh, the 57 children of Malawi. And uh, they were not uh, arrested by a security guard somewhere. They were arrested by members of the South African police who were doing that which we say must be done. Patrol the streets of our country, conduct basic things, stop and search operations. South African President Jacob Zuma has asked Parliament to explain the process it followed in passing a bill allowing state expropriations of land to redress racial disparities in land ownership. Zuma says he needs to clarify how the bill was passed before deciding whether to sign it into law. The President says Zuma has received petitions against the signing of the bill into law from several individuals and organizations. The bill has been criticized by opposition parties with the Democratic Alliance saying it does not provide adequate compensation guarantees. Regulatory uncertainty has worried investors. South Africa's car racing driver Kukuzulu's wife, Litsejo, has thanked South Africa for the support and condolence messages. She took to the podium to express her gratitude during Zulu's memorial service at the Kailami Race Trek north of Johannesburg. The fastest brother in Africa died last week while attempting to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. Noma Bolani reports. Sporting a brave face, Litsejo stood up with a faint smile to thank everyone who shared messages of support and love since the news of her husband's passing broke last week. She told attendees that she was lucky to have been married to an amazing man. Sitting there, it looks like he's been looking at me throughout the whole service. I was married to an amazing man. And I just wanted to get up on stage and say thank you very much. 
She says she knows Zulu would have wanted her to keep the flag flying. The pair was known as the adventure couple, taking part in adventure sports which led them to take part in this year's trek for Mandela. And finally, a patient at a German university clinic in Berlin has shot a doctor before turning the gun on himself. Both have died. Police also say there are no signs of a link with terrorism. The incident followed a four other attacks in Germany since July 18 that left 10 people dead and dozens injured. Channel Africa News. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's 17.06 Central African time. Let's start in South Sudan, where President Salva Kiir has issued a decree declaring one-time peace negotiator General Taban Ndeng Gai, the country's new vice president. As Jim Shimanyula reports, Gai is expected to be sworn in any minutes from now to replace Riek Machar, who has mysteriously disappeared from South Sudan capital, Juba. As had been expected, General Taban Ndeng Gai one of dozens of officials that were very close to Riek Machar has been officially named by President Salva Kiir as South Sudan's vice president. General Tabandengai replaces Riek Machar, who has disappeared mysteriously from Juba following a one-week battle that erupted there between President Salva Kiir's troops and forces loyal to Riek Machar. Before confirming Tabandengai's appointment as the country's vice president, President Kiir had officially fired Machar for being absent at his place of work without leave. Already Riek Machar has gone into hiding outside Juba, and reliable military sources say he may have retreated to his home area in South Sudan's oil-producing region of Upper Nile, north of the capital Juba. Ezekiel Lolgatkoth, one-time Secretary-General for Foreign Affairs in Riek Machar's group, asserts that the new Vice President General Taban Dengai is fully supported by senior officials close to Machar, the very officials that are now in the capital Juba. Today, July 26, General Taban Dengai will assume the position of the first Vice President of the Republic of South Sudan. He has been uh, nominated by the SPLM in opposition, a party to the peace agreement which was signed in 2015, August, in Addis Ababa, to end the war in South Sudan. Taban Dengai has been the chief negotiator. He was the one who negotiated this agreement in Addis Ababa. He is a general in the army. He also participated in the war of liberation since 1983. So he has the support of the army and also uh, the support of the party. And he has a lot of support from South Sudanese. Explaining why the appointment of General Tabande Ngai augurs well for the restoration of peace in South Sudan, Ezekiel Lolgat Quoth had this to say. Because South Sudanese are supporting peace. They are not supporting individuals. They are tired of war, they want peace. And whoever is uh, interested in implementing the peace, they will support that. Ezekiel Lord Gatquoth has an appeal to the absent Riek Machar. We are also appealing to former first vice president Dr. Machar to come to Juba so that we can implement the agreement together. The question that arises is whether or not Ezekiel Lord Gatquoth who once fell foul of President Salva Kiir, trusts the Sudanese leader now that 
He has approved the appointment of General Tabandengai as the country's vice president and taking into consideration that President Kiir also signed the peace agreement that was equally signed by Machar. I trust him because he has signed this agreement. He was not forced to sign it. He voluntarily signed it and he is still interested in seeing the agreement implemented. That was Ezekiel Lolgatkoth, one of the top officials that have been close to Riek Machar, the vice president of South Sudan, who has mysteriously disappeared from Juba, the capital. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Zimbabwe has started a multi-million dollar program to boost maize production to feed its hungry citizens. Vice President Emerson Mnagangwa says the three-year program is aimed at raising production and expanding irrigation to increase maize output to 2 million metric tons a year. At least 4 million Zimbabwe rural folks have been hit hard by the worst drought in at least two decades at a time when southern African countries need $2.7 billion to cope with the effects of El Nino-induced drought. Meanwhile, citizens feel this has come rather too late and urge President Mugabe to start listening to the grievances affecting ordinary people. Someone Machema is in Harare. Following a record low maize harvest of 742,000 tons in the 2014-15 and 15 season, Less than the 1.8 million tons needed by the Zimbabwean population, government is rolling out a plan to increase yield in the coming 2016 and 2017 summer season. The decision comes following United Nations World Food Programme, WFP's June decision to stop giving some people money to buy food in its initiative to help 300,000 people affected by drought in Zimbabwe because of the biting cash crunch. A report early this year says at least 4 million Zimbabweans are on the verge of starvation as the country fails to avail grain to its citizens. During his announcement Monday in Harare, Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa said the program targets to produce at least 2 million metric tons on 400,000 hectares of which 200,000 hectares should be on irrigation land. Farming inputs and equipment will be availed to suitable and productive farmers to the tune of 500 million U.S. dollars for three years. Further to the declaration of the state of disaster in our nation earlier this year by His Excellency the President, Commodore Jim Gabe, government would like to inform the nation of its plans on disaster risk reduction measures for the farming season 2016 to 2017 and subsequent seasons. In recent years, government has noted a steady decline in national maize grain production. When the nation harvested 2,6 million metric tons in 1996 to 1997 season, with production steadily declining to only a mere 742,225 metric tons in 2014-2015 season. Meanwhile, Vice President could not reveal where the country will be getting the resources as most donors and friendly nations appear concerned with the growing civil unrest that started early this month. Countrywide protests were sparked by corruption, numerous traffic roadblocks, basic food import ban, late payment of government workers, which drove war veterans into 
severing their relationship with 92-year-old Bugabe in support of Munangagwa. However, fear and agitation was felt when Munangagwa insulted journalists for seeking clarity on the overzealous agricultural program considering the political environment in the country is now unstable. Uh, just to clarify, Vice President, uh, who are we negotiating for the lines of credit? Because normally Zimbabwe negotiates or gets lines of credit from Africa, uh, Exim Bank. No, we cannot discuss that with the presidency by negotiating with so-and-so. That was Mugabe's deputy responding to a journalist before telling him he had a big head for asking such a question. Meanwhile, former ZANU-PF youth and legislator Temba Mliswa urged the Zimbabwean government to start listening to the issues highlighted by protesting Zimbabweans this month. Mugabe must have a conscience at the end of the day, and his conscience must get him to that. That's with him and his conscience. And this is what I've always said to people. No amount of force from a constitutional point of view will leave Mugabe. It's only him and his conscience at the end of the day in the mirror to say, what I'm doing, is it right or wrong? My people are suffering. Today, the war veterans, I used to have my Juru next to me, she's not there. Digma Sintasa, uh, a, a, a trusted lieutenant, is not there. Who's giving him advice? I mean, honestly, is the, is, the, is the president serious about running this country and being given advice by the first lady, by Kasukwere, by Jonathan Moore? I mean, is he serious? Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Culture and Joy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1716 Central African Time is still listening to Africa Digest with Ms. Pomela Lezondi on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. You can tweet us about any of the things you see in your parts of Africa and stuff you feel we should be covering. The Labour Court in Johannesburg has ruled in favour of the four ex-South African Broadcasting Corporation journalists Jacques Dienkamp, Krivani Pile, Suna Fender and Fuda Greche are now free to return to work. They had filed an urgent court application asking that they be reinstated and have their legal fees paid. The four had been dismissed after challenging a policy by the public broadcaster not to air visuals of violent protests. Sashin Naidu reports. Four SABC journalists dismissed last week for allegedly breaching the terms of the employment contracts have been reinstated. This follows a ruling by the Labour Court in Johannesburg this morning. The SABC is interdicted from proceeding with any further disciplinary action against the journalists related to this case. Judge Andre Fanikerk delivered the judgment for his colleague, Judge Robert Lagrange, who heard the case on Friday. It is ordered that... 
the forms and rules of this court are dispensed with, and this matter is dealt with as a matter of urgency. Two, the respondents' dismissals of the second to fifth applicants are unlawful and void ab initio. Three, the second to fifth applicants are entitled to return to work at the SABC and to continue with their respective duties and responsibilities in accordance with their job descriptions. Judge Fanny Kerk has also given SABC News Management until next week to submit reasons why they should not be held personally liable for the costs involved in the court case. Within five days of this order, Tsevoletu de Tlakakani, the Respondent's General Manager, Radio News and Current Affairs, and Malolo S. Tebeli, Acting Group Executive, News and Current Affairs, must file affidavits showing cause why they should not personally be held liable for all or part of the costs of this application, such costs to be paid on the attorney-owned client scale, including the costs of two counsel. Trade Union Solidarity, who's been representing the journalist, says the ruling is a monumental victory. Solidarity's General Secretary, Dirk Herman, addressed the media in Johannesburg. I think we can say from our side it's game, set, and match. In this matter of Moteneng versus the democracy in South Africa, the democracy triumphed and slowly Moteneng lost. Solidarity and each of the applicants joined South Africa in sharing in the delight with the ruling. We knew all along that we would win as our case was morally and juristically justified. Herman says the four can now resume their duties. And that is to serve the public by providing information to them. <clears throat> Our members did not want to be martyrs. It's not in their nature to be in front of the cameras. However, through it all, they were resolute to protect the principles upon which our democracy is based. Even if they had to pay a high price for it personally. The SABC says its lawyers will read through the full judgment of the Johannesburg Labour Court before commenting on the ruling. SABC spokesperson Kaiser Kanyaho. Obviously, as you might have heard in court, that the judgment is a long judgment. We go in to take an opportunity with our lawyers to study the judgment first before we make any comments, uh, because all that we had was the order. But we need to understand the whole judgment before we say anything. The South African National Editors Forum has welcomed the Labour Court's decision. Sanef Sam Nkokeli. Sanef welcomed the decision of the Labour Court, and it's a very important decision, and it sends a very strong message that censorship has no place in a democracy. It's very clear how the court uh, views such uh, actions. And really, we would like to call on the FABC to uh, take back and accept back at these journalists so that they can resume their duties, as the court has said today. It's very, very pointless them having to fight for their obvious rights, and it's very clear how the courts are due, the actions of the SABC. And we expect a similar decision should the matter go ahead and test it. Micah Reddy from the Right to Know campaign says today's ruling is good news for the other three journalists who are also challenging their dismissals. If this is telling of things to come, then yes, I am hopeful because the other three were suspended for very uh, similar reasons, uh, similarly unjust reasons. Uh, so this is a victory for media freedom and for the uh, 
dismissed SABC journalists. But we also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the issues are much bigger. The SABC journalists will be going back to a work environment that is still stifling, to a broadcaster that is going through very serious troubles. The case involving three other dismissed journalists, Tandeka Hubule, Lucanio Kalata and Busi Ntuli, will also be heard in the Labour Court on Thursday. I'm Sasha Naidu in Johannesburg. The wife of the late South African car race driver Koko Zulu says she's the luckiest girl to have had the man dubbed the fastest brother in Africa as her husband. Her message was read to friends, family and fans that had gathered at the Kailami racetrack in Midrand, Johannesburg to pay tribute to Zulu who died while attempting to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania as part of the track for Mandela expedition to raise funds for a Mandela Day initiative last week to Dongobeni attended the memorial service and filed this report. South Africans have been urged to continue participating in the Track for Mandela expedition to honor the loved race driver. He has been described as a champion for humanity as he loved people and also had a passion to uplift his community and the country. Gugu and his wife Letejo loved outdoor activities, hence the name The Adventure Couple. Letejo was part of the group along with her husband during the Track for Mandela expedition. Through a message read by a friend, Elise Mabinya, says she's the luckiest girl to have had the fastest brother in Africa as her husband. I used to often ask God what I did to deserve a man like you. You were such a wonderful and kind-hearted person. You were so full of life and touched not only my life, but... <laughs> She says parenthood has been the best thing that's ever happened to them. Parenthood has been the best thing that's ever happened to us. She's amazing. A ray of sunshine. I promise to continue telling her and showing her how absolutely amazing you were. A legend. An incredible man you were. Gugu's mother, Puleng Zulu, says her son always said he wanted to be a driver from the age of six years. When you are six, when you always ask a child for a dream career, Gugu said, I'm going to be a driver. And to me, it was, get the driver. <laughs> I said, Gugu. A bus driver? <laughs> no, a driver. Okay, train maybe. Mamsie? No, a driver. His friend Andrew Ross remembered how Gugu made him travel with the engagement ring for his wife for about two weeks. And I remember carrying that ring with Gugu for eight days across the mountains of the Western Cape. Gugu loved you and admired you. Gugu and I had started out riding way stronger than her. But the plan was that he wanted to get to the finish line before her so that he could propose. Gugu couldn't do anything small. That had to be done properly. But I remember the summer got stronger as we went through the week. And the night before, we were lying in the camper van. And Gugu leant over and turned to me and he said, Dude, I don't think we're going to make it in before my wife. <laughs> We then had to rope in, we had to rope in a cycling partner and convince him to slow them down. And I remember that someone coming back frustrated and saying, this guy was stopping everywhere he could. 
Because, because he knew he had to ensure that there was no way that she got across that finish line before him. And what a beautiful moment it was to see him kneeling down while he came down that road. It's something that he's been planning for so long. But His other close friend, Steve Mark, says he will remember Kuku's smiling face and is proud of him. As I stand here on this cold winter day, all I have is the memory of your always smiling face that warms my soul and the echoes of your caring, distinctive voice. In you, I had a big brother and a friendship that was pure. Of that, you always made sure. Chief Executive Officer at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, Silo Hatang, says every year when celebrating Mandela Day, they will be mindful of Zulu. And I want to say to Gugu as I finish off that you died on Madiba's birthday. That every year as we mark Madiba's words, we will be thinking of Kukusu. That your legacy of greatness has now been tied with greatness itself. That you died. I would like you to tell Madiba when you meet him. When you see Madiba wherever you meet, tell him that I died building a country of your dreams. That I died trying to restore dignity to those who lose it. Selfless, kind, caring, and humble, these are among the great traits that speaker after speaker describe the motor racer champion to possess. Zulu will be laid to rest on Thursday. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tutongo B. Your time is 17.27 Central African time. So... You're still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, South African motorists have found themselves frustrated on the roads as wet, snowy and cold conditions grip the southern African nation. Stories of farmers rushing to save their livestock have been making headlines. Severe thunderstorms with possible hail and damaging winds are expected over the central parts of the Free State and Gauteng provinces, as well as the central and eastern parts of the northwest province. More from weather forecaster at the South African Weather Services, Benesha Pakula. Yes, they were expected and they were correctly forecasted as well. We did expect them from last week. We also did issue a, a media release uh, pertaining to these conditions that we're experiencing at this moment. Now, should we be expecting the terrible weather patterns to persist over the coming days and what causes such severe weather conditions? We're not expecting them to persist in the next coming days. As of tomorrow, we expect the rain over KZN, Kauteng, Bumalanga to start moderating. If anything, we'll see the rain mainly in the morning. Most of the rain is more lingering over the Western Cape and the interior of the Eastern Cape. Such weather conditions, what we have experienced for the past few days was due to a cut-off low. And a cut-off low, it has the same effect as the cold front, but the difference between the cut-off low and the, the cold front is that the cut-off low is an upper air system. It's a low pressure in the upper air, and it causes, it does result in a very cold conditions, heavy falls in places. It can also result in windy conditions. And the cut-off low has the tendency of having effects over a sparse area unlike a cold front. A cold front, the effects of the cold front is felt more locally unlike the cut of low. The cut of low, you can find it over the 
western part of the country, but its effect can be felt as far as Limpopo. And uh, just uh, finally, after these cold spells, uh, will this be the last for the year or can we expect some more uh, later on? We can still expect some more later on. With a system like Caroflow, we can expect them even later on. It's just that at this moment, we're not seeing anything like a Caroflow for the next coming few days. So I can only go as far as seven days. But it's possible that within the next coming few weeks, we might see another Caroflow developing. That is Benesha Pakula, weather forecaster at the South African Weather Service, talking to Zikona Miso. It's time for news headlines. Good evening, I'm Amanda Machaka. South Sudan President Salva Kiir has issued a decree declaring one-time peace negotiator General Taban Dengai the country's new vice president. Yesterday, South Sudanese first vice president Rek Machar, through his spokesperson, called for President Salva Kiir not to violate a peace accord signed last year by recognizing and confirming Guy as his replacement. Chairperson of the African Union Commission, Gosazana Lamini Zuma, has called on government and the private sector to help fund initiatives aimed at restoring the legacy of historic schools. And South Africa's acting police commissioner, Khmuto Patlani, has praised police who have arrested three alleged human traffickers in the country's northwest province. Those are news headlines. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Your time is 17.31 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest with Ms. Pumalele Zondi. I'm with you until 1800 hours Central African Time this evening. Find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1. On email, you can send us emails to at info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, in the same fashion, people draw money from ATMs. South Africans will soon be able to obtain their medication from self-service ATM-style dispensers. This was announced by the the Ministry of Health at the International AIDS Conference, which recently took place in the city of Durban. The machine called the Pharmacy Dispensing Unit is currently being piloted at a clinic in Johannesburg. To tell us more about this, we're joined on the line now by Belinda Stradum, who is the Pharmacy Automation Manager at the South African Nonprofits Organization, Right to Care. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest, Belinda. Hi, good day. Um, uh, Belinda, could you please tell us more about these machines? Um, where does this idea come from? Okay, so first of all, this is mainly aimed at your typical chronic patients, taking chronic medication. Um, so we have, in pharmacy automation is not a new thing. There's a few facilities in South Africa that uses auto, automated methods to dispense uh, medicine to patients especially in the pharmacy setting. 
So this is just the extension of that, um, enabling patients to get their medicine outside of the clinic. So the pilot um, project that we will be rolling out in City of Joburg in Hateng will be at four sites, starting with Alexandra Plaza. Um, so that's typically a shopping mall where your chronic patients can go and get their medicine, their monthly collection of their medicine, um, without queuing in a five-hour long queue at, at the local clinic. And it is biometric, is it? Uh, at this point, we are. it works with your South African ID. Or if you don't have an ID book, we supply a health card with a barcode on it, and the patient has the option to create a PIN, much like you would at a bank. So that's a security option that we have at, the, at this moment in time. Biometrics sometimes um, have problems with reading, so that's a consideration um, why we went away with garden pen. Mm. Um, does it work with both the, the ID book and the new ID card? Yes. Yes, so both um, will be, you will be able to use both, but we do know um, that it's sometimes a challenge for patients um, that they don't, the iBooks get lost, they don't have the iBook, um, so that's why we, we made the provision of also providing a health card. Mm. Um, uh, how will you ensure then that it's the actual patient that's collecting and not somebody who managed to steal an ID and perhaps managed to get hold of the PIN? Yes. Um, so these machines are not just a faceless ATM. It links you up to a pharmacy call center where there will be a real-time interaction with pharmacy staff for each transaction that the, the patient does on the machine. Um, that is also a security verification because it's an audio-video link, so the pharmacist can see the patient. Um, so if it, it's compared to a photo that's taken of the patient um, at first point of register, uh, that also serves as a, as a confirmation that the patient is who they say they are. All right, so I suppose then that it's um, during operational hours of the pharmacy, a patient can't decide to go to, let's say, if, the, if one machine is in a shopping center, to go there if there's no pharmacy um, at the place. Exactly, so they will comply to the shopping mall hours. It's um, still extended hours. Uh, most, most of the time it will be from 7 to 7 and on week, week, weekends as well. So the big benefit of this is uh, before work I can quickly collect my medicine or after work I can quickly collect my medicine. And even when you do your monthly shopping on weekends, it's not an extra expense to go to a clinic and it's not a day's off from work um, that you have to take to get your medicine. Um, you've told us about security features um, where um, it verifies the patient and the authenticity of the person that's collecting the medication. But um, we've, we also do know in South Africa that people can um, steal medication to create new drugs. Um, how will you ensure that the machine is actually safe and people don't end up um, breaking into the machine or maybe stealing the machine itself in order to take the, the medication that's inside to create new drugs? Yes, so I think that is a general concern from the public as well. The first thing that they think of when we mention this is, is people are going to bomb these machines. So first of all, I need to mention that the face, the ATM face of it all, 
um, doesn't hold medicine. The medicine comes from an automated unit um, and gets delivered via conveyor belt into the ATM side of the machine. So even if they break into the ATM face, they won't be able to get to the medicine. That being said, for this pilot project, the whole site will comply to pharmacy council standards, and that includes security features. So it's um, the ATM phase of it won't sit on the outside. It gets closed off and locked up at the end of the day. So you're piloting it. Um, if successful, if your pilot exercise is successful, um, how soon will we start seeing it being rolled out nationally or maybe to other places in the province even? Yes, so um, for now, like I said, it's a pilot. We're working closely with National Department of Health. We already have some ideas lined up. It's also dependent on the funding partners coming on board, helping us to roll this out. Um, and so for what's working in Houghton province might not work exactly the same in Pumalanga. We might have to tweak it a little to work with the current systems there. Um, so as we go along, we will work with the provinces and with Department of Health to see what solution fits best. Belinda Stradham, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Belinda Stradham there is the Pharmacy Automation Manager at the South African non-profit organization A Right to Care. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African mathematics educator and a University of Witwatersrand professor Jill Adler has been recognized by the International Commission on Mathematical Instruction with two distinct honors. She was elected president of the organization at its current 13th Congress taking place in Germany and honored with the prestigious Hans Fredudal Medal. Adler is the first African to lead the International Commission on Mathematical Instruction. Well, it's an organization that to which all countries affiliate and their mathematics education communities and associations join up and it connects most countries across the world. And every four years there's a big congress, which is happening now in Hamburg in Germany. That's one of the activities of the commission. It's a sub-commission of the International Mathematical Union, IMU. And it runs a number of other activities. It does international studies on important areas in mathematics education that the community deems important. An executive committee is elected every four years to run the organization, and it consists of a president, which is, so I'm the incoming president. I will take up office on the 1st of January, two vice presidents, and then five members at large. And that executive committee runs the work of the organization with a secretary general for the next four years, which would be to organize the next conference to make sure that all the key issues and the developments in the field of maths education, research and practice are foregrounded in the Congress, that 
best knowledge in the world is shared. It will launch some critical studies on mathematics education across the world globally. It runs development camps. It's called the CAMP program, the Capacity Network program, and it's run five of these so far in remote parts of the world to bring in communities that have less access to these kinds of organizations, to connect them to each other, to connect them within their local communities. So I was at one last year, actually, in Tanzania, which was run for countries in East Africa to encourage African countries to network, to join the organization. So South Africa is a very high-participating country, but it's one of the few high-participating countries in Africa. Egypt has strong participation, Cameroon. There are a couple of countries in Southern Africa that have representation here, but Africa is relatively underrepresented. So it's wonderful to be in this position and to be able to think about how different African countries can be brought more on board and contribute to the work of the international community on teaching teaching and learning mathematics to all our children. Those are the main activities. Now, Professor, looking at the African continent in particular, how far are we with regards to the teaching of mathematics? Well, we have our own particular challenges. I mean, Africa, most African countries are relative to developed countries are, are relatively poor and work teaching and learning happens in poorer conditions. Our curricula follow international trends, but the quality of teaching and learning, there's a lot of work to do in terms of that and in terms of developing our teaching populations, our teaching core across the continent. Different countries are different with different strengths, different weaknesses. But generally, African participation in international communities like this is increasing, but it's slow. And so they put up a map yesterday, the current president put up a map of the networked countries across the world that are affiliates of ICMI. And almost all the other continents are well represented and covered. And it's glaring that there is an absence in so many parts of Africa of participation. And it's typically related to funding and to access to knowledge and communities. And these capacity building network operations have been done. So one was done in Francophone Africa. One has been done in Tanzania. We hope we'll do one in Southern Africa. And this really does encourage African countries to participate more, to get into the international work, to enhance their own programs and to contribute their own knowledge. There's a great deal of knowledge and understanding we have of what it means to teach mathematics in the conditions in which we work. Now, Professor, the difficulty, is it because people are learning mathematics not in their mother tongue or is there something that is challenging with regards to the teaching of maths? Yeah, there's definitely something challenging about that and it takes particular form in in post-colonial society. So it is an issue. Mother tongue instruction is definitely to be preferred for cognitive growth in the early years but there are real constraints on that given access to text and materials and also the development of the scientific registers in all the different languages. So it's one of the factors, it's not the only one, and it's not completely over-determining, but it's certainly a factor that plays into the work. But, you know, I listen to the African colleagues who are here, and most of them are fluent English speakers. And that is South African educator and University of Witwatersrand Professor Jill Adler talking to Wendele Kalipa. She is in Germany. It's 17.45 Central African time and it's time for your economic news with Rosanna Matabula.
Good evening. Thanks, Espumelele. South Africa's Finance Minister, Pravin Goran, says uh, South African Airways requires a new board. Speaking at a Johannesburg Chamber of Commerce and Industry meeting in Senton, Godan said the airline needed an experienced management team. He says a turnaround strategy should be implemented for the airline to be able to continue. Godan has requested three extensions for the deadline of SAA's annual reports. Ethiopian Airlines, a brand-new Airbus, touched down at the OR Tambo International Airport near Johannesburg last Friday. The airline, regarded as Africa's fastest-growing, took delivery of the A350 in Toulouse in France last month, which is uh, the first uh, 14 of the model that will be deployed by Ethiopian Airlines in coming years. The airline's regional manager for Southern Africa, Abel Alemu, says there is great excitement about the expansion plans and the service to African countries. This is the latest technology aircraft in the market now. So by operating this aircraft, we aspire to give the best experience to our passengers who, who, who are traveling with us across 92 destinations in our network. So the A350 is usually preferable for long-range flights. It can fly 17 hours without any technical stopover. So we usually want this uh, S350 to operate the longer routes, like from our base in Addis Ababa, across Atlantic to Washington, to New York, to Los Angeles, where we are currently operating with a stopover either in Europe or in, in West Africa. A new 2016 report on Africa's competitiveness shows that uh, despite a relative slowdown, sub-Saharan Africa remains one of the fastest-growing regions in the world. Foreign direct investment levels last year increased by 7% from $88 billion in 2014 to $71 billion in 2015. This was still higher than the 2010 to 2014 average of $68 billion. Amina Akram reports. Africa was one of the only two regions in the world achieving growth in foreign direct investment project numbers last year. The Ernst & Young Africa Attractiveness Report, titled Staying the Course, shows that East Africa was the biggest gainer, achieving 26.3% of total projects. Michael Lalo is Ernst & Young Africa Business Center leader. So East African economies, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda in particular, and, and Ethiopia, have um, you know, have remained among the fastest growing economies in the world. Lalo says economic growth across the region is likely to remain slower in coming years. Inflation in Kenya is under control despite a food price-driven rise in June and pressure from recent increases in the fuel tax a day after the bank left interest rates unchanged. This according to the East African nation's treasury. The year-on-year rate of inflation rose to 5.8% in June from 5% in May as prices of food items went up. The retail prices of fuel went up on July 15, ushering in more pressure on the rate. Financial indicators say uh, the dollar 14.32 South African rents 10.64 Botswana Pula and 9.47 against the Zambian Quacha. Also trading at 0.76 to the British pound and 0.90 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,317, platinum $1,077 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $44.93 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. It's
1749 Central African Time. Thank you very much, Asani. Your sports news now with Neto Chamani. A very good evening, sport fans, with your latest sport news at this hour. I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. Mamelodi Sundowns can continue an amazing four-month transition from flops to tops if they avoid defeat at home to Zamalek of Egypt on Wednesday night in the CAF Champions League. A point at Lucas Masterpieces Moripe Stadium just outside Pretoria will suffice to seal first place in Group B and take the South African side to the semi-finals of the Premier African Club football competition. Sundowns coach Pizam Simani says they need to get an early goal and then close the back door to wrap it up before Zamalek plays its final match at home against Enyimba. Hope for an early goal. Any goal will make us play free and, and easy and unsettle the, the Egyptians because in my opinion I don't think they, they think we can go to Sundowns and, and win easily. You know like like maybe before the tournament started they I think they felt that they can come and win here but now um Things have changed now, and they know that skating on thin ice is not going to be very easy for them, comfortable for them to lose here. If Sundowns win, they will complete a remarkable turnaround after they were eliminated in the final qualifying round for the Champions League in April by Vita Club from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Demoted to the second tier CAF Confederations Cup, Sundowns were beaten by Midyama or Ghana in a playoff to suffer further African disappointment, only to be rescued by CAF's decision to disqualify Vita Club for using an eligible player in the earlier qualifying round and replacing it with Sundowns in the group stages of the Champions League. There are major changes on the horizon for South Africa's premier domestic T20 cricket competition. Cricket South Africa CSA is considering repositioning of the domestic T20 competition currently known as the Ramslam T20 Challenge. Any changes would only come into effect in the 2017-2018 season but the key idea is to make the tournament a global showpiece. A statement released by CSA on Tuesday said that part of the proposed changes included separating the competition from the country's other franchise competitions. The new competition would also be expanded to an optimal number of eight teams with a tournament spread over four to six weeks. The tournament would also be pushed back in the calendar year to start in late November with the final taking place on December the 16th, a public holiday. It is not yet known how the extra two franchises would develop, but the expansion is seen as a way of providing a larger platform to accommodate both local players and overseas professionals as South Africa seeks its own answer to India's IPL, Australia's Big Bash, and the Caribbean Premier League. Family, friends, race cars, colleagues, religious leaders, politicians, sports administrators, and ordinary men and women gathered at the Kalami racetrack north of Johannesburg earlier on Tuesday for the memorial service of the race car driver Gugu Zulu. Zulu died last week while attempting to summit Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania with the Trek 4 Mandela Initiative. Speakers included representatives from his racing group VW as well as the CEO of the Nelson Mandela Foundation, Selo Hatang, and Gideon Sam, the president of South Africa Sports Federations and Olympic Committee, SASCO. An exhibition of Zulu's life in pictures was also set up, where fans left their condolences and memorial messages. The photo canvases include his greatest moments on the track, as well as his life as a father and a husband. SASCO president Gideon Sam paid his respect. On behalf of the sports movement, we say rest in peace, dear Kuku. You have run your race, and you have run it with humility. To the family and to motorsport, you have lost one of your... 
Cameroon's governing body has banned five Russians, including a gold medalist and a five-times world champion, from the next month's Rio Olympics after an explosive independent report revealed state-run doping across Russian sport. International Canoe Federation Secretary-General Simon Tolson said they are clear that if you step out of line, you won't make the start line, as canoeing became the latest sport to bar Russians from the Games in the fallout over the rolling doping controversy. Their exclusion takes the number of Russians banned from taking part in Rio to 18 since Sunday, when the International Olympic Committee decided not to issue a blanket ban on all Russian competitors, instead leaving it up to each sport to decide what to do. The banned Russia, the banned Russia 5 are Elena Anyushina, Natalia Podolskaya, Alexander Dianchenko, Andrei Kraito and Alexei Korovashko. China's Sun Yang has suffered a number of setbacks in the build-up to the Rio Olympics, but the freestyle specialist said his controversial past has made him more determined to defend his Olympic titles in the Rio Games. Sun served a three-month ban in 2014 after testing positive for a banned stimulant, spent a week in jail for crashing a car driven without a license, and most recently was involved in an altercation at the World Championships last year. The 24-year-old was also suspended from taking part in any commercial activities by Chinese swimming officials after missing training sessions in 2013. However, the 1,500 freestyle world record holder said he was looking to learn from his experience. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Your time is 17.55 Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. The appointment of a new vice president in South Sudan elicits mixed reactions. Tears flow as South Africa remembers one of their fallen sons. And that wraps up Africa Digest today. For myself, Spumele Lezon, the producer, Luanda Mom, technical producer, Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. Info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, we're on plus two seven. 796-957-930-27-796-957-930. You can also tweet us on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Stimela Sasezola Paimbongengam.